0: What are we doing? will check it out. A whole new generation of young people today who belong nowhere. But I prefer to be now cast. Third culture kids where the cockpit of the Dukan is the, the
1: corner shop where the t we are live outside. Hey yo, what's up people? What up nation? Revolution of expression. in to the Dukan show, Stay tuned in. Arab digital generation is shaping our identity creative expression and their future so please give a very warm
2: welcome welcome to your
1: tribe alright y'all what's happening everybody welcome to this week's episode of the ducan show as always we got reamsies in a building
2: auntie Ream to you
1: Yes, bam. Please Ringsies. Put some respect on her name. <laughs>
2: put some respect on my name.
1: <laughs> and Akawi couldn't be with us today, but we got Nadid. So I don't know. I mean, I don't say we got someone better because, like, <laughs> no, Akawi. I, mean, I love Akawi, but is mean, it somebody else? I can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> you know, but we got Nadid in the building straight out the UK. Those dudes showed up at the beginning of summer. Like, he's here. As the temperatures are rising.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> I, you know, I was really worried that I wouldn't be able to come the whole winter season because this place means a lot to me, man.
1: Yeah, Does it?
0: Yeah, as a convergence point of like friends, but also creatives in the region. And you guys know more than anyone, the winter season is that moment we all kind of come together. That's it. Lots of programs, events happening in the city. Yeah. So the thought of not being able to come was really like jarring on me. And then this last minute opportunity came. And, and now we're here. And we're at the table. Here he is. Love it. What brought you out here? Was it work or just... It was work. It was work, and I, I I will always say yes to anything that brings me out here because like this family and friends yeah. I want to see, of Love course. It. So um, and like I said, the city means a lot to me. This this crazily misunderstood city.
2: I think it's terribly yeah. misunderstood. I mean, when you're in it, it's you yeah. get it. But then I think one of the things we constantly have to do is sort of. Come to its defense, mm. with you know, in, in the public especially because people right. misunderstand. Um, and the question of like, where is the soul of yes. this city? That's the you know, that's, that's usually why the here. attention that's why
1: we point.
0: Exist. Yeah, that's you why I'm know? looking forward to actually speaking to you guys actually because who would know more about the pulse of the city than you guys who've invested in it over the last? You told me 2016 this started.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's
0: crazy. So you've it obviously seen been. like the genesis from beginning to end.
1: Oh, oh I mean, for well, some of us who grew up thing. here as well.
0: Yes, exactly. We've seen
1: that development over time. We've seen the growth and the changes in the city,
0: right?
1: 100%. But then in terms of documenting it through the show, that we we were live first week of January 2016. Yeah. And we've been running ever since.
0: And the, um, the culture has shifted and mm-hmm. moved in places like we can never imagine since then.
1: Completely. And it's just it's so much fun because one, we're tapping on our friends' shoulders and like, hey, come on and be part of this. Yeah, and yeah. We, as we progressed, we started to realize like there is more people like us and there's more Definitely. out there that are doing this in various ways and different styles. And there's so much to be said for it. And then there are times when we just want to shoot the sh- we're like, you know, what? let's just, let's just, yeah. let's just catch we, up. We sort know? of
2: grew up on the show now. Yeah. Like when you look at, it, well, that's what happens when you make art or do culture, like perform culture. 100%. You you document your journey, your life.
0: But this is why I don't think people understand how important this platform is.
2: <laughs> this is <laughs> a <we> chronicle
0: <laughs> and an archive of the cultural history of the city. Thank and you. And like this Appreciate stuff's important. That. And I think like I've known about you guys for like a long time coming. And I think there's a lot of transient trans- points that me and you kind of, Converge on, it's about culture, it's about identity, it's yeah. about community. And I think that's why it resonated with me so yeah. much. And it became like a, a big reference for me to learn a lot. So I appreciate you guys. appreciate it.
2: And we appreciate, appreciate you. So, work. like, big like, fans like, of your work. I'm We're a huge person. fan. So, what is. What is your work? Like, how do you define cool. your work? Because you, I know what you question, do, but what is the work?
0: No, I, guess I'll, I, get, I get asked this question a lot. And I think, um, I don't know whether it's a good or bad thing. I'm like, am I not being clear enough?
2: No, you're being very clear actually. I
1: don't know. Because no, I, no, no, I can tell you what I think it is, and you can correct us. But I think, <laughs> you know, let people hear from you. Sure,
0: absolutely. Yeah. So, like, I've, I've learned to become better at it. You know, like, especially in the creative process, people tell you, neither do you need a tagline, yeah. right? Let the elevator pitch. And I really struggled with that. Why? Because I felt like my multi-hyphenated identity couldn't be summarized in that elevator pitch. Yeah. Like, you know, like, it
2: can't. That's the truth of it. There's tough. always something that's going to be marginalized, right. right?
0: Yeah. And then you learn the tagline is about making that white creative exec at some of the biggest brands understanding who you are in a couple of sentences. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time. And I've been in this game for maybe five, six years. So I probably only arrived at that kind of destination now-ish. And I say I'm Wannabe Brown Bourdain.
2: Hey, <laughs>
1: you
0: are
2: Wannabe Brown Bourdain, yes.
1: <laughs> I'm here for it. This is why the sound effects are nah, That's man.
2: exactly it, actually. Yeah. like That's exactly it. Yeah, for okay. sure. But no, I, I think you... Well, the, the truth see, now of that you it, said it... Now I that you said it, it. it it's abso- absolutely correct.
0: And it's me. a great elevator pitch. Yeah, thank you, man. If you don't know who Bourdain is... Bourdain oh. is a cultural culinary icon, icon. food writer, presenter of the Like He basically kind of like laid the foundation of new generation travel culture and etiquette. Yes. How do you traverse this world emotionally uh, inquisitive and curious mm-hmm. in a way that would uh, connect with people from various different cultures? But he was also morally upright.
2: right So he was noble. Yes. I think there was a nobility to him.
1: Sure. Uh, and despite and if all you, that, I admired his how uncensored he was yes yeah doesn't matter he'll say his piece good or bad he was raw exactly. at all times and that's one of the things i love just simply because as you know a lot of these people become more and more famous so you're across all these different types of media they all want to control a narrative in a certain way and he's like no no no. we're doing it this way
0: 100 percent.
1: and i respected him for that i know people, that about his
0: work so much things about the world people say oh it's complicated it is It is.
2: Therefore, we should tackle it. (laughs)
0: 100%. And then, but there are also some clear situations that I felt that are very clear and like being unapologetic about what we feel is right and wrong. Yeah. He was great at. So like, I'm just trying to traverse the world in a very similar way. Food is a big inspiration behind that. So I, you know, long story short, I travel the world, I... I meet people and food is a medium for me to connect with them on a deeper level, but especially people who haven't had the luxury or privilege of having had that story told in a way that's nuanced and emotionally engaging and and entertaining. How do we take complex ideas and and distill them into really accessible stories and experiences that sheds light on who they are in their greatest, greatest quality? Yeah. And, And that's what I try to do my best learning every day as it comes. And it's taking me uh, in, in journeys and, and, and alleys that I never expected. But a lot of the means I do that is content, experiences, yeah. sometimes products. Mm-hmm. So yeah, bro. And are you a storyteller first or a chef? First? I think storyteller. I'm, I would no way claim to be that I'm a chef.
1: Right. Okay.
0: Food is a big part of my life. Um, being a chef is an art. It's a something people dedicate their lives to. I'm not that person, but I love cooking. Yeah. And what I love about our world right now is that like... Uh, you know, we're celebrating people who just love to cook at home I think that's beautiful as well because that's so much more accessible than like the mission yeah, and stuff yeah and
2: that that journey of like culinary yeah, culinary craftsmanship but yeah. at home there is that adventure 100%. there is that space to like feed and show love and in our in all of our cultures to sit with someone at their table mm-hmm. is their way of saying I love you or welcome or you know exactly. and all and all things in between yeah so what's your creative process like because I must say this, your content is for me so refreshing. It was so refreshing to see it on my feed when I first interacted with your work. But then I realized as you began I I hoped you would stick with it because you know when someone first sort of shoots one out there you it, you had so much value. You you had your content is so value packed. It yeah. has on so many layers. You you speak about the culture. You speak about the singular dish that you're making. And then and the then, entire and the, history the entire behind it.
0: That revolves around it. I appreciate you. Yeah, like it's, it, you know, um, consistency. Thank you for mentioning that, which is I'm notoriously bad at. <laughs> um, but I think uh, what happened was I, you know, this whole TikTok generation was emerging, right? Yeah. And it was basically indicative of a whole new era in which social media content was was going about. And it makes us as creators constantly having to reinvent or reimagine the ways in which we tell our stories, which is interesting because the algorithm can shape the way in which the story is told, yeah. right? And, you know, um, I started had to figure out, hey, okay, cool. There's this new kind of real kind of 90 second content. How do you tell dense stories in a really concise form? Right. And I just didn't find anything, you know, I was never going to do be that guy that's like dancing on a TikTok or mm. like whatever. That's just not my vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, um, how do I tell something of substance in 90 seconds? And then it occurred to me, um, I would cook a dish. And what's, what's amazing about food is like the perfect Trojan horse.
2: Right, right? isn't it?
0: So yeah. people, they probably go on their phone, there's no audio. So they don't actually initially hear the story. So they see an amazing dish of food. Yeah. And what I used to realize about my work before is that the only people that would like watch my content were people who were maybe of diaspora heritage, yeah. Middle Eastern background. Uh, and they were able to directly relate to the stories I would tell. Then I started using food. And then I started to get all these white people following me. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, oh.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Hello.
0: I'm like, this is crazy. Things are yeah, changing. And like, Usually if a white person was following me, it was like a marketing exec at a brand. Maybe it was like a, someone of, you know, it was a work thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Someone who probably wanted me to work with them at some or something.
2: Or they were spotting or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. There was like a, yeah, exactly. And then, um, which was hard. And I was like, damn, how do I make my experience more relatable to people who aren't directly part of it? Then I started using food and I started to realize, whoa, yeah. like people who aren't directly relatable to this experience, I started to engage with my content and food brought them in because they were like, that looks delicious. What I'm going to do is like slide a story in. Right. Mm-hmm. And what I found was people were so much more amenable to the people yeah. and the story that it created an environment where people were relating to each other a lot more. And that's the golden thread of a story, right? It's like, how are we drawing on, like, universal shared human experiences that allows, like, the Caucasian European to relate with the black Sudanese, right? Like, how do we create these bridges, which should create a more equitable world for everybody? And it banged the format was 90 seconds, and it just started hitting, and I was like, damn, like, I've struck something. And when you struck something, algorithmically... You just got to keep pounding. You run with it.
2: What was the moment you realized you struggled? I like, what was, was that moment?
0: When it deeply resonates with people, and you see when someone shares something on their platform, right, on um, mass like that, you start to realize, like, okay, cool, like this is this is something. It's resonating with people that they're willing to share it on their digital space. Um, and that means a lot to me when someone goes through that process, Of right? course. Because it takes a lot to get someone to share stuff these days, right? Yeah. It takes like a this... lot to
2: get anyone to share anything, anything. ever since the beginning 100%. of time, I yeah. think,
0: you know. 100%. And and, it,
2: and you have that privilege. Yeah, you well, have that privilege. it was like, People uh, do wow,
0: share. 100%. Like, thank God for the, it's resonating on this way. And then I just stuck with it. And I think, you know, any creators out there who are thinking, okay, how do I structure content in a way that's like, um, doable on a consistent basis. It's all about finding something that's relatively, you can film in a day. Right. You don't have to travel across the country to do it. But that I was able to do in my home in a little vertical space that's this much, cook it in maybe four or five hours, do the video post nice. and put it out there. And because it was easy to do relatively, two days in comparison to some of the stuff I do, which is like two months. Right. So, like, um, <laughs> it allowed me to be consistent as much as possible.
2: And is your background in content creation or in filmmaking? No or God. so, like, <laughs> like what? No so, what... <laughs> how? Because the quality, by the way, are you a one man show? Like, is this all you?
0: Initially, like, definitely in the beginning. But now, you know, alhamdulillah, luckily, I'm like, got people to support me great. and, and it's it got to that destination. But it also depends on a project. So some projects mm. I'll just do as a passion project. Yeah. So there's no real support system. I'll edit it myself and I'll do everything my own. So those videos specifically, the ones the Simmering Memories, the the, sh- mm-hmm. the historical recipes, um, I be- began doing it myself. Yeah. But sometimes I'll do it in collaboration with like an NGO or a humanitarian organization and there is a budget to get an editor. So I'll do that. Okay, great. Or I've like made money from other brand projects and then I'll siphon that money into an edit to help me work on that so right. I can work on other stuff that I want to do. So it's got to that point, thankfully, but there was a point where I was doing everything. Like yeah. Mm. Pre-production, post. And that's a lot it's a lot of work. And like I think that level, and you guys know more than anyone, that level of work is so intense. Yeah. But you do it for so long, it just becomes normal. Yeah, it does. And then you have to zoom out and you have to be like,
2: is it sustainable? Can't yeah. yeah. But
0: people can't believe you're and like I don't think I work hard. <laughs> this is what i was worried about
2: this imposter syndrome it needs to stop but people look at your
0: process and they're like yeah. bro you need to take need, some time you need to like, calm chill. down
2: yeah. <laughs> you need to calm down no because the quality yeah. it, it is the quality but i think it's not i don't know if it's i don't i don't think the mo- in in with the amount of content that we consume it's not about the caliber of this of the shot it's not that it's about the content and the story. Exactly. It's that right. That's 100%. where I think you really hit heavy. And yeah. and there's so much power in the yeah. way that you structure the story. Yeah. And you do, you know, the jump cuts really work. Yeah. I think they do bring... <laughs> the aesthetic. The aesthetic. And the moments and, are like, ah. And yeah, you know, yeah, 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 When yeah. you
1: have your like, highs, yeah, and, yeah. Lows highs and lows in the process. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. It, it's human. Thank and you, And it's very honest. Yeah. You know, and that's what I admired. Like, I think, I remember the first thing I, I ever saw was... Um, Reham, so I got to give her credit for that. Uh, One of our friends. um, She sent me, I think it was the Vimto Wings Mm -hmm. video that you did. And it was just the video, the storytelling, everything about it was great. And then I sent it to Reham. I'm like, yo, this format. this, It's like everything about this video, the storytelling, the shots, the way it's edited, the voiceovers, the whole thing. I'm like, this is it. Those guys got it, you know?
0: Thanks, man. And that's what I started
1: following. And then I went back.
2: Oh, yeah, and then you, go through the, yeah, then, you then you go, go through,
1: through that. the doom scroll. Yeah, of like, you know, and I kind of just went through everything that you created as far as I can go back. I'm like, okay, I get it. Like, I understand yeah. this guy. For sure.
0: And I definitely didn't invent that format. Like, no. for me, like, the creative process, you're taking inspiration from things that exist. And yeah. you're kind of amalgamating mm-hmm. it into kind of remix, right? Like, my dad used to always say, like, there's no such thing as new ideas. Just old, new ways of telling old ones, right? Yeah. So, like... My process is our process. And like for me, like me putting it out there, like I hope some young gun is like, okay, cool, this structure makes sense to me. Yeah. Like remixes it in a way that reinvents it and makes it relevant to a whole new generation. But like, that's the goal. You know, we're all on the same team, in my opinion. We're all trying to tell the stories of our cultures in a way that feels hard. Yeah. And like for me, if uh, if a format makes sense, I just I hope people adopt it and like do it within their kind of environment. That makes sense, sense to them. Yeah. Um, but just to go back to your point, like it made me realize like, a lot of people A lot of a lot, one of the criticisms of the videos that I get is like, one is like food isn't political, which jars me a lot. Which, oh. Whoa!
2: No, 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 no. Whoa. Okay, but like, we'll, get trigger, we'll, we'll get back. We'll get to triggering that. One. We'll I've get. got. Yeah, I've yeah, got yeah. something <laughs> to say about that. <laughs> that yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But so that what is the other criticism? The
0: other one is that like a lot of people say that I think too deeply about issues of identity and like history, etc. And like, mm. and I take contention to that, bro. Like, yeah, like, yeah fair. Um, I was having a conversation just literally an hour ago. I was thinking identity didn't see in history so important to me because I just had this mad thought the other day. I was thinking, oh my God, like, I am probably the first person on both sides of my family, maternal and paternal, who has the luxury to be doing what he needs or do, doing what do. he wants to do yes. as opposed to doing what he needs to do. Absolutely. Amen. And, like, bro, like, that thought is just like blew my mind in a sense that I think of all the ancestral sacrifice, I think about the immigration, I think about the fleeing of war, I think about what my Ancestors on both sides had to do for me to arrive at where I am at right now. Yo, I'm like, damn. The least I can do is pay homage to that history. Yeah, Yo, understand that history. Like, like that is the least I can do, and I take inspiration in that. And, and also
1: making it credit to you, making it digestible and easy for an average Joe Ahmed Abdullah yes. to understand. Yeah, you know, like yeah. that. That's part of disseminating the message and the knowledge. Yeah, the and
0: it, and it is deep. Look, there's a big difference between like, you know, I. I had another meeting recently, and someone was saying some really validating things to me. Someone who I really look up to, like a mentor, and he was telling me how look, there's a big difference between a plate of food being in front of you and you eating it and being like, "Hmm, what am I tasting? Tamarind, tasting cardamom, I'm tasting these interesting flavors," and telling your audience that, right? Yeah, there's a big difference between that, between getting a plate of food and being like, "Oh, this is how it makes me feel." Right. This is how, like, I'm reflecting about the significance of that food, and you know, this is a very easy thing to relay. But like there are very few people in the world who can actually reflect on what's being had in front of them in a way that is meaningful and substantial and and is related to the world that we find ourselves today and so I think more young people need to be doing that
2: I agree mm. completely
0: reflecting about the food that we eat, its importance, how it pertains to our histories and our and, and our legacies, and I think the world would be a better place for it
2: absolutely, and so like to get to 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 tackle the points because. I want to have difficult conversations yes. when I, whenever we can. Yes. Number one, food is absolutely political. Very and, political. And and for you to think otherwise is, a, to be it's honest, a, point, a disservice. It's, it's, yeah. it's a disservice to what what to the work that's being done to a put food on the table. Mm-hmm. So one of the things, olive oil, right, mm-hmm. from seed to your plate is 25 years. Like Crazy. think about it, right? Yeah. The thing has to grow, yeah. so people plant olive trees with the knowledge they'll probably never. Their sons will, their daughters will yeah. taste it, right? So They've been their about, lifetime. So for me, when I sit and think and, about and the olive tree, the olive branch, political. the olive grove, and how yes. political that is, mm-hmm. no, <laughs> we have to tackle that, mm-hmm. and we have to be respectful about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you do it in the manner that you do, the brown Bourdain way, I think that it we uh, you, you know. Uh, it has to be palatable,
0: Mm -hmm. right?
2: Figuratively and and proverbially (laughs) and literally, right? It has to be palatable.
0: That's the creativity. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the creativity comes
2: in. 100%. And that's the onus is on you. The onus is on us to actually make that accessible. Um, And the one thing, if you... Our history is housed in the food. Oh, man. It is. You know, we... So much of Iraq is lost. So much of Iraq is lost. But... In Masgouf, I can tell you where I'm from. So like now let's, now now we can play, you know. Um, m- people will say Masgouf is the food of freedom because mm. that all over the world, Iraqis everywhere bring Masgouf to the table and that fish is free, mm. though we may be chained in so many ways. Mm. Oof, so if you think beautiful. about it, right? So yeah. like food is absolutely political. It has to be, I want it to be, you yeah. know, lest we forget how we got here.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know?
2: Um, and then very
1: political. The
2: second point, like to this to you know, why should we go so deep and tie then? Is it really that deep, bro? Like, yes. is it really that oh deep? Uh, it is. It absolutely is because what and this is my own opinion, not the views of the can or nether, <laughs> but <laughs> but this is my own opinion, and I, I will die on this hill. Um we when <clears throat> if we want to numb ourselves, that Nova came that you decide to take to if you don't want to tackle your identity. Whether you like it or not, your body keeps score, your spirit keeps score, and it will come out at some point. In some strange tension, you might call it a midlife crisis. You might call it anxiety or depression or whatever. Uh, Know thyself. To know thyself, we have to tackle our identity as diaspora, as men, Mm -hmm. as women, as as trans people, as anything, right? right? But more importantly, who are you? Mm-hmm. What are you made of? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like what made you know, like well, who are we? So if you don't want to have that conversation and you want to have hummus, all right, cool. But one day it will it will rise. It rises to the surface and you will have to tackle it in your own way. Yeah. The ease, the great thing is we now have tools. They are blunt, they are inadequate, <laughs> but we have more tools than we have before. Um to not look at our identity is a tragic shame. Oh, for sure. Because the adventure, the can was an ex- exploration of our identity, mm-hmm. and the adventure that we've been on because we decided to come to the table every day, every week, has been remarkable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that adventure internal is the is identity politics, mm-hmm. right? Um, and DJ Khaled says, they don't want you. <laughs> they don't want you. To win. They don't yes. want you to win. So if you, like you don't... Just drop in, a wisdom bomb. A
0: wisdom bomb. And then you know that guy... With DJ Khaled. Yeah, yeah. As if he's some sheikh. No, no, exactly. And, like, exactly. And, then,
2: and the great DJ Khaled says, no, and I thought about that. And I'm like, no, actually they don't. If we don't talk about it, they don't want us to talk about it. If we don't talk about it, we lose yeah, more of ourselves exactly. than yeah. anyone else, right?
0: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And if you think like, you know, just to get even more hippie. I love that. I love that language as well, man. It makes sense to me. Like, you are what you eat. And like, to get even more hippie about it, if you think of food as a life force, right? Yes. As one of the core necessities of human existence, then you are literally what you eat. It reminded me of the story of this Vietnamese farmer that I met in, in LA during this filming that we were doing around alternative cultures of California. And she was telling me during the Vietnamese War, when her mother fled, yeah, she just left with a hemp bag of seeds.
2: Yes,
0: oh, there it is. Right. see
2: there, and there it is. Right, there it is, and, and there like, it is. And
0: like, what does what does it symbolize and represent? It was like these are things that were grown and fertilized on their homeland. Yeah, and what was of the most core importance to her was some sort of memory or memento, or opportunity to recreate that land somewhere else with yeah. a bit more hope. And like, that's when we talk what significance of food means to people. Of course, that deep.
2: And it. like for me, mm-hmm. like even just thinking of this little packet of seeds, like people, people who've had to leave Palestine, yeah. for example, they, they the olive exactly groves, you like they take And I knew I was had the privilege of have, of, you know, people who had groves that they've taken like yeah. from Palestine to grow, you know, yeah. a homeland where, mm-hmm. you know, um, the, this, the hemp bag that, yeah. you know, she has, has the audacity of hope in it. Mm. the right. audacity to believe that you will survive, mm. right? that your children will live long enough to mm. experience your Vietnam. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it it's so brazen and beautiful. That's the revolution I love. Like yeah. when I see and that, I'm like, tell me, yeah. tell me food's not political, my guy. Tell me it's you not. Know? How dare you say you think... it's
1: not political or yeah. even think yeah. that Yeah. when you see and hear stories like that around the world because it says It expresses so much in that one simple plate of food. And it doesn't have to be complicated food. It could be the simplest thing. But like there's so much that Mm -hmm. is being told in that experience. And this is what's amazing about the work that you do is because you're walking people through not just this is what it is and this is how it's done and how it's made. But here's the colonial history. Yeah. Let me tell you what happened. And let me tell you where the issues were. And like that. Taking, taking us through that journey kind of just like, you know, is, is a mind-blowing moment. But also, not only do I understand the politic of it, it gives you a much deeper respect to the food right? yes. and the people you interact yeah. with. And this was the beauty of it. Like, when we started the show, it was about the journey of figuring out this question of identity. And I think as as brown and black people and third culture kids, like, that's a piece that we always trying to navigate through and figure out. And, you know, I've been through all kinds of journeys with my Sudanese identity and yeah. the issues within that. And we're politicized. Mm. The day you're born, you are politicized, whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. So now you either choose to navigate it or pretend it doesn't exist. That becomes your choice. But, but it's but it's, your way, it.
2: yeah, it's exactly. your way too. Yeah, it's like, your way too. I respect someone who do doesn't want to face yeah. it. I mean, but we, can't. we
1: chose, no, no, we're going to tackle it every yeah. week, every day at this table. And we 're going to do it in the most peaceful way, because, as we always do, we say in the is kind of like we're here to export our culture to the world. I'm here to tell the world about who we are and prove that people like us do exist
2: right.
0: right but I totally understand that like and thanks for sharing that's beautiful because remember, it reminded me of like you know you know what's interesting about our parallel experiences is that I grew up in the West in London, being a minority multi multicultural Muslim boy in London, and you guys grew up in Dubai, which is of course again, Dubai has its own unique. Um, um, environment and like these parallel experiences are happening in tandem there's a lot that we can relate to but there's also differences in detail right and I think like growing up a large part of what I'm hearing from what you're saying in your experience also was there was something growing up and I remember feeling like a lot of our narrative and our identity as minorities in the U.K. was so shaped by trauma,
2: mm-hmm. so shaped
0: by this colonial experiences that we didn't know who we were outside of this resistance. Right. right. The resistance yes. had become part of who we are. Right, right. Yes. So when you have this magnet that's drawing in all your emotional energy, you cannot cultivate a personality, an identity outside of this colonial experience.: This tension. Mm-hmm. So exactly. you're
2: sitting in the t- you're you're actually straddling that tension right. yeah. not belonging, you know, forever in 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 conquest of yes. something. You have no idea what you're in and conquest who, yes. and, and yeah, yeah. Who, who owns it, who owns you.
0: A hundred percent. Right. And I used so. to ask myself, like, who are you outside of that yeah, yeah. relationship, right? Yeah. And I struggled. Yeah. Like I needed the colonial I needed that colonial experience to shape who I was. Otherwise I had no idea who I was right. outside of that. And a large part of what I need for my identity today is to understand my cultures in a way that is celebrating their excellence, their marvel, the way that they really emotionally move me, my filial relationships. These are things that give a person meaning and substance and and a a hope to build towards, right? I don't want my children to be burdened by feelings of like you know, feeling that their the most important thing about their history was how they were occupied by some external force and right. yeah. you know, feeling inferior to something or someone. I want them to feel like, you know, um emboldened yeah. by like how amazing these cultures they have are. And I think part of this storytellers responsibility and every culture has some form of traditional indigenous storytelling whether it's west africa and the griot tradition or whether mm-hmm. it's like Koali in south india like storytelling is a core cool component hakaya yeah, yeah in, in arabic yeah. right like the storyteller's role is to embolden a generation of people to feel proud and to feel like they come from something of depth and and substance because that will give them the strength to persevere despite whatever obstacles or challenges they have in the future. And like, we are the storytellers of now, right? Yeah. yeah. And like content creation might sound like a very narcissistic space. And it is, don't get me wrong. Oh my God. Yeah, like, I was going to say like, it is. It's full of prank videos and full of like stuff, which we also like, which yeah. is not associated to, to it. It has a space. But like my challenge today that I'm, I'm I'm dealing with myself and I accept that I have narcissistic qualities as well. We all do It's part of the human experience. How do I leverage that need for me to be my work to be validated and yeah. to be seen by others into things of meaning is mm. this kind of storytelling. I was like, you know, if I want to be known for anything, then I want to be known for inspiring a generation of people to feel proud about who they are. Yeah, And like, um, that is what I feel is the responsibility of the storyteller today, culturally, and the role that they play in making us people who are living outside of our countries of heritage as diaspora... To feel rooted in the sense of who we are, but not like a weight. Like no, yeah, uh, people uh, are like oh, you talk about identity or stuff. I'm like, yeah, I don't talk about identity because like, I'm trying to live in Yemen back in like X the year. <laughs> I'm trying to get people rooted in an understanding, so we're brave enough to build something new. Absolutely, yes. there's Absolutely. a reason why like yeah. th- all of us being from different countries resonate with each other. Yeah, because there's like a pan diaspora experience Completely- that is relatable. That
2: is, it's very relatable, and yeah. I think also very necessary. We it, it needs to be uh, called brought into light because yeah. I think we. To to recognize that you're part of like diaspora means mm-hmm. that you are displaced. Yeah. In in essence, you have to reckon with exactly. the fact that you are displaced. Um, and so, for the listeners who don't know, uh, what is so your your is your background Yemeni?
0: Uh, yeah, so yeah, mixed. we
2: should we should yeah we Isn't should give it? the third culture like <laughs> the, the, uh, and the third byline. culture mix.
0: I'm the only
1: like Sudanese on both parents. You're both mixes. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: <laughs> Yo, Iraqi, I got one.
2: Yeah, I got, I'm Iraqi Filipino. Dope.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful and. Um, So I'm Yemeni, yes, Indonesian, Kenyan, Pakistani.
2: Y- Yemeni, Indonesian, Kenyan, Pakistani.
0: So Dope. like, yeah, new generation X-Men <laughs> mutants. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I get, I, it. It. I get it. I get it. And like, the future is beige to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is. You know what I mean, like,
0: that's, that's <laughs> the, the way. Right. So they was actually a South Park episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There, there was.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a way back. Yeah, way way yeah, like, back.
0: yeah. I have
2: like a vague memory. Like it's like vague... they
0: predicted in the future in like fifty years time that the whole world's population would just be beige. Yeah. Because everyone eventually I'm would be. I'm so down. I'm so down. I'm here for it. I'm so down. Yeah. But no. So growing up, that mix actually from. Me was very difficult yeah. yearning for like a sense of belonging in one of these places I wasn't Arab enough to be Arab I wasn't African enough to be African yeah. and like for me um, when I was younger in my teens especially I was desperately just needed to be validated by one of these experiences and I grew up and I started to realize very slowly that actually it was part of, it was a superpower
1: it like, is. Yes, I had yeah.
0: access, I had exposure to so much and it really kind of shaped my work and life and I'm very grateful for it. Mm. Um, and um, I do believe it's going to become more and more of the human experience as I time goes so. by. I think and so And we too. need to articulate what this human experience is.
2: Yes. And, and uh, for, the, the interesting thing is that m- the more people I meet who are just, you know, hy- like hy- hyphenated mm-hmm. hybrids, whichever, one, whichever way you want to refer to it, um, the end is always acceptance. Mm -hmm. So far, like so far, yes, there's always tension. There's the the identity question. But then once you sit at my table, we come to acceptance. Mm -hmm. We come to like a really deep acceptance that the fence is actually, sitting on the fence is actually where we always wanted to be. It isn't, it wasn't a prison, a narrow, long prison. No, it's actually where you were meant to be the whole time. And
1: I think, once you've once you, once you reach acceptance, oh, the journey is like just beginning. You yes. know, like the world
2: responds to you differently. Yeah, I think so. like when you kind of came to terms, or and it's a very gradual thing. It's not like suddenly one day you wake up and you're like, "Dope, mm-hmm. I get, I get who I am." No, it's a gradual thing, and the world sort of responds to mm-hmm. you in that way. And I think you've listened. I think you've listened very. It deeply, like in a very deep and intimate place, you know.
0: But it reminds me of this quote that um, an amazing writer in, in the UK wrote, Aisha Akinbi, she wrote, sorry, pardon me." <clears throat> uh, it reminds me of this great quote that Aisha Akinbi, a great writer in the UK wrote, and it was, an infatuation with your identity limits your identity. A hundred percent. And like a big part of that I really resonated with because it was like, look, like I'm not, I don't talk about identity all the time for me to be so puritanical about what I identify as. In fact, it's the opposite. I really feel like there's a world out there to be created that is a lot more like um, intertwined yeah. and, and diverse in its experiences. And like that is very exciting for me, but it'll be difficult. Also, one thing I want to say is that like, that's not a new thing.
2: No, not at all. Right?
0: Like cultural mixes and, and and um, you know, are a thing of the past. People used to do it. Seamlessly, yeah. and I think about my mix, and people look at my mix and like, whoa, that's crazy!" Yeah, but I'm actually like, "No, actually, historically, if you look at it, it's very common within the Indian Ocean." And it I, is, and you know, if you mean, the poetical way I kind of identify is like a child of the Indian Ocean, yeah, mm-hmm. because this body of water has shaped the identities around coastal cultures. Yeah, so that's why you get like Yemenis in Pakistan and India. You get Yemenis in like East Africa because they travelled around all the time, and yeah. it was very normal for them to like. Um, Um, assimilate and become part of the coastal culture there so for me it's about tapping into that history and that legacy of of when a time where we weren't so tribal and puritanical about how we identified as but um but but seeing each other for the humans we are
2: yeah and i think the notion of being coastal is very interesting because like i always say like i'm from the desert and the island that's Mm. so where where the horizon meets that's where i (sighs) belong Right, and that's nice. usually where I I feel the most. Like when when I go to the desert, mm. or I'm at the, and I'm in the ocean, I can, mm-hmm. I just feel at home, at peace. Or mm-hmm. you know, the forest is a very different place for me. 100%. I don't have that uh, association. It, I, I I don't know what it is, but I think that yeah, maybe the the, the shores, like for you, right, like right by the shores, I mean, where thing you know the ports 100%. where everything comes through, that could yeah. be. The essence of you,
0: 100%. And like even like the old Swahili kingdom, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, used to be Oman, Yemen, Ethiopia, Sudan, not no Southern Sudan, yeah, exactly, Eritrea. It used to be the, the like East Africa and the southern peninsula. Arabia used to be considered one part of just because there was an ocean between them didn't necessarily mean like.
2: Yeah, As the lines were drawn the way that they're drawn no, today. They were right? very close. Yeah, they yeah. were very
0: different, and how we identified was very transient and a lot, uh, a lot more different. And I think that's magical.
2: I think we could. But return that's why to that today transient. you go.
1: But that's why, like, if you go to Zanzi today, you might you'll meet the Zanzi Yemenis, you'll meet exactly. the Omanis yeah. and the yeah, Arabs yeah. and the Indians, and like yeah. you, you, I think you get all those different 100%. colors and different experiences, and they're all. So I, they're, they're all they're the same, same. exactly and they're, that's, all, speak Swahili. they're
0: bro, all the same person <laughs> 100% I'm actually working on a project on this right now but like Swahili culture is a fascinating co- case study yeah. for how communities can come together under one hyphenated identity yeah so like Swahili culture like you said absolutely it had the Iranian it had the South Asian it had the Arab and it had the African right but Swahili culture encompassed all of them yeah so one person would identify as Swahili and the Shirazi would identify as a Swahili and the Omani would identify as a Swahili very few places in the world um, um, are able to bring together such disparate communities yeah. in that kind of um, umbrella identity, and yeah. like, what? Why? Why was that happening specifically in this location? And a lot of social historical context, etc. But you juxtapose that with America, where everything is incredibly racialized in a very black right. and white way, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a very different Western Eastern way of how we identify with race. There's lots of conversations right now around like Afro Arab Afro-Arab identity. Yeah. What does that mean? And a lot of us are kind of absorbing what we've learned from the West and the civil rights movement there and trying to place it in a place like
2: and East yes. Africa. So juxtaposed, mm-hmm. when you juxtapose the layer of like the civil rights movement on East Africa from the, an, an outsider. So I'm not, okay. you know, I find it very, it's, it's bound to create tension because the 100%, fabric doesn't fit. percent. But how do you guys feel? Like, how do you guys feel when you navigate these questions.
1: It's a strange one because like for example for me in my teens and this is part of the quest of identity was that I, I, I found assimilation there and I found uh, an understanding and a state a sense of expression mm. and activism in a way that I didn't necessarily identify with because my experience is different from you guys um, I'm I, I'm not mixed right so I'm just Sudanese but as somebody that was basically raised outside of Sudan so, my reference was the family vacations that we take back home. So, you're never Sudanese enough in Sudan. doesn't matter what you do. There's a term for it, Aulad al-Mukhtaribin. Like, you're the ones that left, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then here, you're not Emirati, you're not Arab, you're Black, right? But in Sudan, they say they're Arabs. My grandmother was like, no, 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 we're not Africans, we're Arabs. Like, makes you yeah, rest in peace. Like that's a- what she used to say. So... I'm like, but grandma, no, you think that here, but as soon as you leave this country, people see you differently. That's not the case. That's not what people are saying about us, you know? And my experience said differently. So this tension is something I've always had. And I've I've expressed that on the show many times. Now, dealing with like racial clashes here as a kid and not having a reference, because in Sudan, the issues were, you you study the history, it's a colonial history. Mm -hmm. And yes, there were racial issues, but... Sudan had a role to play in like Arab slavery trade Mm. and it had Mm -hmm. different roles that it played. So then, oh, but why are we doing that if we're the black people? We're doing it to other black guys. So like a lot of these wouldn't click. Like it's just too too many points not connecting and I was just super confused about it. But then the American Civil Rights Movement, then coming to discovering Mm. these books, studying, you know, reading. It began with Malcolm X's book, right? And then they went to your Martin Luther King's and then... One of the best books I ever read was well was like um, Jamal Joseph, and that opened my eyes to the Black Panther movement and the right. history of the Black Panther. And then, so
2: just the, as a question, so, I don't sorry to interrupt yeah. because I, I I think that some some of the people listening may not necessarily understand you know all of the references. What are the pillars of the conversation? What is what is the tension right now? What is the Afro Arab tension? That so, modern day tension.
1: The modern day tension is a rejection from the arab world like you're not arab but then
2: from the, the arab world
1: yeah like, so the
2: arab world says that you're not arab no no
1: like you're you're an afro arab in the sense of oh you speak arabic but you're not arab you're, okay. you're still black you're still african you and the rest of the african continent you're all colored or painted in the same brush so
2: your blackness excludes you or your africanness excludes you from Completely. being arab Completely, okay and right? then on the other side
1: and then on the other side and so that no we are arabs but that's the post colonial Issues that Sudan has Um, dealt with, okay, right? So that tension in itself was a big issue of the identity. So then, reading all these books suddenly now became like young black activists grew a fro in high school and like it was a whole, (laughs) it was a whole situation, right? And that became part of my expression because now I'm starting to see the the racial layers Mm
2: -hmm. because
1: Mm -hmm. I was always exposed to it. And as a kid, you everybody feels the same, but then once you start seeing these racial layers, or Mm. once you get put in a position where you have to face it at a very young age in a way that an average person would
0: not face it, Mm -hmm. you start to see things differently. Absolutely. And like, such an important conversation to have. And I I think like what I'm learning, hearing through your experience or the question I'm asking myself is like, these are two different paradigms Mm -hmm. of how we approach race entirely differently, right? Like the West deals with it because of its historical, socio-political context specifically in its way. And like, the Middle East has its own way. But like, What's weird to me is that black and Arab are two opposite ends of the spectrum. Correct. That's
2: what I was trying that's, to like, get to. It's
1: not supposed yeah, to
0: be. They're two different misnomers, you know? right? Yeah. Like black as a construct of whiteness, right? Mm-hmm. So like really my dad always used to say he was only considered black when he left Africa, right? So if we accept blackness as a creation of whiteness, then how does it apply in context that blackness was really never really considered a, a, a thing or wasn't called that specifically? And when you think about Arabness, I also think about like... You know, um, people who might be perceived as black within Arab nations such as Saudi Arabia and Yemen, mm-hmm. where you have like old families that have like original ancestries within like even Nigeria and like yeah. um, um, an African uh, African Peninsula, but they're part of the Arab experience. Yeah, yeah, they're
2: part of they're part of the right. Arab world. Exactly. Period. And then,
0: yeah. what does it mean to be Arab in that context? And what does Arab actually? mean?
2: Well, what okay. does it mean to be Arab is the question of my life. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> like...
0: It's such a, but I I find solace in it being like such a broad concept that like it encompasses so many experiences and 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 so you. No,
1: completely, it does because this is so uh, Safia al is a is a she's a Sudanese poet, based uh, Sudanese American poet in New York, and she actually wrote an interesting piece on this from her research, Mm. and she used the term which was a new term for me that I've never heard before, um, Arabophone. So she would call, she calls Sudanese people Arabophone, which means that you're, you speak the language, you understand it, but that doesn't make you an Arab. You're still black and African.
2: Hmm.
1: And I didn't, I've never heard this term before, Arabophone. Like,
2: like, you know, like Anglophone, like, correct. Like, Anglophone. like,
0: kind of like Anglophone, right?
2: I'm interested. So I, she, I clearly don't know enough.
0: So she's differentiating between the ethnicity of an Arab and, yeah. someone, and, who and someone who linguistically yes. speak. Correct. For me growing up, I always understood them as, to be Arab meant that you spoke the language of Arabic. Mm. Mm. That's what I also understood as Arab, right? So, like, uh, sorry, go ahead. For me, like I would take a challenge with that because I would say that it's a weird racialized way of viewing like what an Arab is, right? For me, like I, I mean, my whole identity as an Arab is predicated on the fact that it was a community of people of different ethnic her- like DNA, right? brought together under the umbrella of Arabness. Mm-hmm. And that's what was really inspiring for me as a youngster, that you can be Sudani on one end and you can be like a Syrian with blue eyes and like super fair skin.
1: On the other end. And exactly. still consider
0: as an Arab person.
1: Yeah.
0: And like, I feel like I need to have that for my, for my sense of positive Posit- association yeah. with Arabness yeah. because that's what really I found inspiring growing up in the West was like, the way that we identify in the West is entirely different, right? Completely. And Middle East, we had this example of being able to be one thing, across 22
1: different countries that's argument that this was when you take the countries that found they're the arab league they're 22
0: right where it becomes different and real is that colorism is real yes and like forgetting that would be negating an experience that people across the region feel and part of me is torn between whether this is the modern concept of like Colorism within Arab communities being is it a modern thing that we've kind of adopted from like colonial kind of experiences? Or is yeah. it part of the historical legacy that we have to address? And yeah. um, to be honest, even my own research with my own like East African family, these a tough question I've had to ask myself. Yeah. For example, where, just where did that sh- take you? Well, just to share with you vulnerably, like I've been I've been trying to do a series in East Africa for, for now. I'm actually working on it. And it means like un, um opening the door on some of the family history that I'm not necessarily proud of. Yeah. And part of that untangling is Part of that experience, right? Yeah. For example, you know, my Swahili family are very mixed, and some of us are dark skinned, some of us are a lot lighter. And there have been grandmothers within that ancestral line that were local indigenous African women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we don't hear about that ancestral legacy. We talk about the Yemeniness, very proud of the Yemeniness, the Arab, the Arab legacy, and it's a very Hadrami kind of Swahili mm. experience, yeah, etc. Yeah. But then where's the Gidiyama? Where's where, the yeah? Where did indigenous it go? African exactly. Yeah, it's, like
2: and who yeah. erased it? Like exactly. and so when you when you look at identity politics, you have to look at why what, what was erased first yeah. of all. So, identify the erasure. who erased it exactly, yeah. and why wasn't it revived? Who and what, fought for it? And what does right? it say
0: about the the context? Right, exactly. Because I'm assuming you know, talking with my family, etc., to be Arab in that East African context was seen as a status symbol, right? Right. So even if you were indigenous east african you wanted to marry within an arab family and become an arab because why it gave you more luxuries in life in general it gave you status it gave you it was
2: transactional in many ways right
0: Mm. well yeah is that a transactional but if someone feels like they are less yeah and want to marry into something that they feel is more it's sad it's a sad transaction it is because she doesn't realize what she's leaving behind well now me i have the luxury of being like
2: yeah, I like an anthropologist <laughs> exactly, like going like through
0: Oh why why did yeah. you let that go? But back yeah. then that's how it was, and then yeah. yeah, things were done. But like there are there are legacies within my own ancestral experience in which we didn't even talk about, and me and my dad would, et cetera, but extended family, et cetera, would be hard to talk about. Mm-hmm. Of course. Because it means that we have to accept the dark elements of our own histories. Right. But what could be more fruitful and what could be more beautiful than like Addressing these with sincerity and compassion. I think the opposite is terrible. I mean, the the opposite being neglecting, ignoring, and not addressing issues. And I just felt insincere. I felt insincere about talking these issues without really addressing where, like, my own Mm -hmm. family have been inadequate in it.
1: Completely. And Uh, I I know exactly where, like, I completely understand that feeling because there are some very dark parts of my family history. That of I've
2: everyone's family history. Accepted. I don't yeah. imagine anybody's no. hands. No one's hands are clean, my friend. So, right? like, it's hey, not. like
1: colorism is is real. Like yeah. it's, and curious to understand, like in part of your quest was because my understanding, at least in Sudan, is that this is a post-colonial thing that came about. Prior to that, that wasn't I guess the Sudanese zeitgeist or the norm to have these issues. We were tribalists, yes. They're tribes. Mm. But the colorism part of it or the pride in Arabness versus Africanness was not, you know, it wasn't part of the conversation until that began with the colonial history of the nation.
0: I mean, like, from what I have understood, and, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that believes like colonialism, we have to blame everything (laughs) on colonialism, (laughs) because there's some stuff we also have to, like, take into consideration for ourselves. But colonialism did really F things up in the region. Like, I think what the colonials found it really hard to do, and their their cliché tactic was divide and conquer, Mm -hmm. right? You pit tribes against each other. But then they came into this Islamic context where people identified under this spiritual tradition across different ethnicities, and they found it very difficult. So what they started to do was break down the Islamic and started dividing people amongst, like, ethnic lines. Ethnic lines so yeah. So they came to Zanzibar, et cetera. They gave the, they gave the Shirazi, the Iranians and, mm-hmm. and, and Arab Omanis certain privileges and they excluded the black African and other people certain privileges. Yeah. So what you do, you create division within context in which division didn't occur in yeah. the first place. So like, that is the, people have to accept that that is part of the legacy of colonialism is dividing people who traditionally weren't divided along those lines. Yes. Right? And a lot of us have inherited that as part of our experiences today. But, Um, you know maybe that this is why history is super important because we do have a reference for when things were entirely different and why we can't compare like western ideas of race and identity because it just doesn't fit in our context it's a completely different paradigm and like when people want to use language that's appropriate in like a a western sense it doesn't it doesn't fit in the eastern for example even when we say slavery right slavery is a huge term right like, when we think slavery, our natural instinct takes us to, like, the Atlantic slave trade. Of course, because it was the biggest, most tragic reference we have in human history. But the Indian Ocean slave trade wasn't completely different. Correct. in texture and how it operated, right? Yes, we were complicit in, like, the transaction of slavery, but so was most of the world in that context, right? Um, and yes, it was black on black a lot of the time as well. Yeah. But when I look at Swahili culture, the difference there, which my teacher told me, was... That even within Swahili culture, the black African had the mobility Mm. to rise from being, he was African, but he was also considered Swahili. Mm. And he could be in positions of power. Yeah. He could have business. He could do, there was mobility amongst the social hierarchy. Right. Whereas in an American context. No. There was no mobility. You were who you were. You were a slave. And there was a deterioration of the human. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You were seen as, you were dehumanized. Yeah. Your basic civil rights, your identity was stripped. Your identity was, stripped,
2: away was from stripped, yeah.
0: And like that is a completely different form of oppression than what occurred in the East, of yeah. course, on the East Coast, like of Africa. Was it tragic? Of course, it was slavery, of course. But how it manifested was entirely different in terms of uh, texture and substance. The Atlantic slave trade was dehumanizing,
2: mm-hmm.
0: but the Indian Ocean had its own complexities, which made it very different in detail
2: and so you're so now the explore like what I what I'm what I'm so fascinated by and I can't I want to grow old with you (laughs) because I want to see that your your body of work is going to be your thesis in Mm -hmm. essence right it it is going to be your thesis for what is this identity who are you who are we and so the exploration I guess uh, I'm and I'm seeing this amongst my peers we're exploring the pre-colonial experience mm. because we want to know a world different exactly. than the, than the one we know now. Right. It's happening in Philippines there's an, an amazing movement. Um and I see it well I hope one day I'll tap into Iraq's like you know there's there's so much pre-colonially mm. that we we have to explore. I'm fascinated that you're you're doing this through the medium through the Trojan horse that is your work and mm. I cannot wait I cannot wait to see what you uncover. Um what is the ne- where are you now like in the journey where where are you now and where do you hope this whole thing is going to go? Cuz it's deep and wide, right? It is. Like it's not just
0: 100% like um a lot of this has, has sounds heavy, but I also just love living life, and yeah. having a good time, and community. Also, an offline experience is a big part of what I do. But where I want this to go is ultimately—it's uh, yeah, very, very materialistically. The Netflix series is like my dream kind of Fair. goal hey, to get to yes. at some point, and call it to existence. And uh, also, writing—I enjoy that. And like for me, it's about finding other means of telling these kind of stories on a larger scale, so yeah. more people have access to it. So when we talk about educating a whole global audience about the complexities that we've kind of touched on today. For me, my creative inspiration is being like, all right, cool. How can we make more people understand this? Right, so like yeah. the person who lives in like Ohio, America. How can he have a deep understanding of the differences between like the slavery that took place in East Africa versus the Atlantic trade, uh, slave trade? And that for me is very exciting. It's like, yeah, every creative, every creative has a problem premise that they're trying to address. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And for me, educating the world to make them more understanding and empathetic towards one another is my creative inspiration. So, the Netflix series pray for me for it's, happening. Hey, it's happening it's happening. It's already um,
2: happened manifesting in my opinion. it yeah.
0: manifesting that and like um, um, that would be end game for me but offline in terms of how I want to live my life like I love bringing people together yeah. mm-hmm. community is a big part of what I do and I'm very lucky because I consider Dubai a home I consider Jakarta a home I consider like New York a home in L.A a big part of me just wants to live a life that is like kind of sounds very like first world problems but a large part of my life is like traveling between these places cultivating a sense of community yeah, and absolutely. like togetherness and just building a world that like full of people that I want to be around and world yeah. with and yeah. like um, whatever those experiences look like it might be food related it might be experience but I love doing those. And those are really special.
2: Yeah. Like, I get you know that. we've
0: forgotten how to be offline with one another these days, right?
2: Well, the the great thing is we haven't. No. But I think people have. <laughs> yeah. And let's let's we should revive that. Yeah. Yeah, being offline yeah. is not only critical to our existence, but if you want to live a long life, it is the tenet of longevity. It's a tenet of longevity yeah. to have yeah. like real human yeah. deep connections. That's yeah, yeah. part of living a wonderful and long life.
0: And also last one, not least like a, a family at some point. Yeah, of course. And like that's real, that's real. Yeah. I think we get so lost in that. We get so lost in the hustle, but like the greatest project I'll ever work on is my family. Yeah. Mm. And like, I'm really excited about that prospect as well. And like, if anything, it can only inform and elevate my work. Of course. And I think... um coming from a really strong family that is a source of inspiration for me. I get excited about what that future might hold for me as well. And like, I feel like um, we should talk about more of that stuff because life isn't just hustle, work, no. and like what we're going to be doing, but it's also about the bedrock of community is family. And yeah. if our work is like celebrating community, then we should be celebrating family as well and like creation of that. So big, I big aspiration.
1: It. I love it. Speaking of family and food and all these good stuff. <laughs> Here um, we go. <laughs>
0: community.
1: All righty, we're ready with the Shatov report? Yeah, but yeah, yeah. But before we get into it... The Shatov report?
2: <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> it's God's work.
0: I love it. This is it. Did it, I just hear Shatov report? You did, sir. <laughs> Explain. Is it is this self-explanatory?
1: I mean... Um, it is a uh, long sign... Uh, not long, but it is an official... Officially, it's a new tradition of the Dukan show. Um, thanks to Reem and her service for the public. God's work.
2: God's
0: work. It's, it's cleaning it's up other people's shit.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I
1: so, pretty much uh, what we do is that um, Reem experiences. Different toilets around the world. What a
0: great job. I love that for <laughs> you. Oh of my career. We are here talking to- Girl, you should be like,
2: yeah.
1: the- we're
0: talking forget, about culture. Pre
2: colonial identity man. politics, the shataf is where it's at. Forget all the pre we've and post colonial
1: toilets. Damn. What
2: are you talking Damn. about? This is Everything what this is. Is. No, this is just about <laughs> cleanliness. Oh, like amen. the standard. A whole
0: of generation clean. of young people wanting what is to be it? like off you know? reporters. You know, yeah. oh, shataf reporters, it's a movement. It's like what is it? Cleanliness. Get it? It's a
2: movement. Did you not even hear the.
1: No,
0: I missed it. I was trying to remember the quote. It's fucking hot. I just got it. I just got it. Uh, I, right, I like it. This it.
2: genius <laughs> is like wasted. <laughs> you even clean yourselves? Anyways, continue. Please continue with this.
1: All right, Reem so how do you judge how do you judge your shatafs and the toilets
2: the criteria is number one the shataf must exist and it's construction must be fabulous mm-hmm. if you're one of them plastic ones that's like got the silver, silver sparkles uh-huh. when it's, <laughs> when I use it because it's flaking no Oof, lime scale <laughs> <laughs> and lime scale no uh, the second one is pressure if there is no pressure you are mm-hmm. not clean yes ma'am if there is no pressure you are not clean
0: but some of them got the really high pressure and
2: then you're being assaulted and that yes. is the, there's nothing I can do to help you so we're trying to find that middle ground between like not being clean and being assaulted <laughs> that middle ground that's where i'm Aren't at that's where that's oh. where i'm at that's where i live number three is the well, actually no it's yeah number three is the water pre- the water temperature i like a body temperature yeah. but some people like it cold it's hard to find a cold shot off in dubai in the summer i tell you yeah. that much <laughs> but and if you find one if you dm me <laughs> let me know auntie Reem on instagram and then finally The ambiance, the experience, and the toilet paper. We have yet to find three-ply in the city. If you love your customers, you would pay the extra for the three-ply. People will come. We know. I'll bring them there. Anyways. We're ready? Hit it. Damn. Damn. I know. I know. Uh, I was with Arva, Frying Pine Adventures, and we went to Kuya, ladies and gentlemen. Kuya is the modern Filipino eatery. They are putting Filipino food forward in the city. And if you go to the washroom, shout
1: out to Chef JP.
2: Yeah, Chef JP, foremost. you know what um, you're doing. And uh, here's the thing: speaking of it, th- th- on the menu, a lot of the food is Filipino food. Truthfully, mm-hmm. like not you know, colon- like anyways. Well, I would love to. I would love to take something. you on a Filipino food tour. We're gonna do that, and then when you go into the washroom, you're gonna see protruding, gray tile, everything is gray. There's plants, there's bamboo. It's a vibe. It's is there so music? cool. No, Ooh. no, no. But it's, and it's right across from the kitchen. So it's like a back alley. And then nice. you, <laughs> you're in Narnia, right? Okay, so the bathroom is Ooh. Narnia. Okay. <laughs> and
1: then- I don't know, I feel like I wanted spa music.
0: And <laughs> this
2: is the only gray throne that I've seen in the city. I have not seen another gray Damn. tone. It's like gray, gray, gray. It's really nice. And then there's a black shut off. It's metal.
0: Ooh, fancy! Wow. It, it is.
2: It is. And it's got structure. It's got. It's Yo, a, they, you they, know. It's got weight. It's, yeah, it's, it's weighty. Got weighty. It's they got weighty.
0: budget. You
2: know. Premium. They put it where it counts. Is the mm. point. And then water pressure. The water pressure is fantastic. It is fantastic. You are clean. They cared. The don't turn the knob yourself. By the way, you should enter. <laughs> don't touch the knob. You should enter, and it should clean you. That's how I feel about oh, my God, life in so. general. Not getting assaulted clean. <laughs> all right. Clean on all go. counts.
0: I've never wanted to <laughs> sit in a restaurant. <laughs>
1: this is it, right?
2: I know. Again, <laughs> this is the work. This is this is the work, you know? And then, um, where are we? Oh, yes, the water temperature. A little bit cold. Some people like that. It's hard to find a cold shataf in Dubai. But what I do like about it is that, and, and some places you can't, uh, I think you can adjust it a little bit like yeah. the temperature I'm not sure but I Those felt like it, I felt like it adjusted let's not get too hopeful right? exactly. That's exactly. I, <laughs> I know maybe I'm raising people's hopes and finally we have two ply toilet paper mm. the ambiance is amazing so on the point of two ply toilet paper I dock a point but otherwise it's a four star from Auntie Rain she's yes. big do, I would love to do a Filipino kind of uh, food experience at Kuya. Let's do so it. So let's figure it out. If anybody wants to come, just DM us and we'll figure out tonight. Um, it, yes. Everything there, the details are uh, culturally correct.
0: It's oh, beautiful. Man. It's beautiful. If it's got your type of a pool, it must be dope. Yeah, it's dope. It
2: is, it is really it dope. a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because we didn't... Rep- I don't think Filipino food is represented well.
0: Yes. And exactly. I think
2: this, this is the place. Sudanese line. food, you right. feel?
1: Yeah. Like, by the way, most of the Sudanese restaurant. Restaurants out here are like little spaces for bachelors that are ah. away from family, away from home, live alone, and want a taste of home.
0: Is right? it because sudani food doesn't translate well into a culinary experience? Is it like no, Indian food is like
1: that? I think it either. Honestly, I don't know the answer to that. In one way, I feel like there are certain things that will translate well, and I've been toying with the idea of actually getting into an FNB space specifically for single item menu. But a lot of the food. Your point, yeah, it just doesn't necessarily translate where well to a culinary it's like experience. Home food. It's I like thought that about I thought completely. that about Filipino
2: food until I went to Kuya. So, that's, so I'd love for yeah. let's go together. So that's
1: why I feel like it can be done is just waiting for the right chef to unlock that. Exactly. Yeah. And
2: and you have to decide that this is the movement you're going to be yeah. spearheading mm. because you have to have people on board to believe in the culinary ethos, mm. which yeah. is not necessarily, you know, it's home food elevated. Yeah, so, exactly. yeah, it's a vibe. 100%. It's a vibe. Completely. So, on that note, Kuya, it's where it's at. And that's the Shatoff report.
1: Yes, ma'am. Kuya, that's the shit. Yeah. <laughs> now, there, man, thank you so much
2: thank for being you. with us. Thanks
0: for having me. Oh, I'm man. It's so been happy that this happen. Like, yeah, we almost solved the world.
2: I'm looking forward to growing old with you. Yeah, yeah, so, I appreciate I am you. So but,
0: much. Thank you for your work, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks thank for you, having
1: me. Thank you, man. Having and honestly, look, anytime you're in town, the studio's ready. We're ready. Let's do it. And we can do it off-the-mic stuff. We'll go eat yeah. together. Yeah, bro. Yeah, together. Yeah. Oh, you're stuck with me now. Let's make it happen. <laughs> thank all right. yeah, yeah. alright y'all. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of The Can Show. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for kicking it with us today. I hope you enjoyed listening to this week's episode as much as we enjoyed creating it for you. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast at to stay up-to-date with all our conversations. Also, if you don't mind… Hit us with the five-star rating. Leave a comment. Let us know how you feel about the show. That way, it could also help others find the show. And be sure to share it with your friends and family, whoever you think can benefit from it. You can holla at us on all social media platforms at The Can Show. We'd love to hear from you. Or you could drop us an email to hello at thecanmedia.com. Salaam.